Welcome everybody to Crystal Kylan Friends. Today we have a special wartime edition of Crystal Kylan Friends. I'm of course here with my lovely wife and co-host, Crystal, and uh, my other wife and co-host, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, uh, this is Mac, AKA also Good Politic Guy. Uh, everybody definitely check out his YouTube channel. He's got an awesome YouTube channel, highly recommended. Um, and yeah, we're gonna dive into some, unfortunately it's a very somber show in many respects. At the same time, you'll see some uh, debates a little later on that are absolutely bonkers. We have Ben Shapiro versus Tucker Carlson on this issue of Israel and Palestine. And we also have Cornell West versus Alan Dershowitz. And uh, I'm, I'm, I won't say anything else. I don't wanna spoil it. <laughs> I don't, I don't. Lindsey Graham versus sanity. Yeah, well, <laughs> a lot of people versus sanity in the show. True, very so, true. Um, all right, first let's start with, I wanna give everybody a breakdown of um, what we know as of right now, as of the recording of this show, now to, to be clear, there's gonna be a little bit of a lag between when this is recorded and when this is uploaded. I just want everybody to understand that. And the facts on the ground change very quickly. Uh, but just to give everybody an update as to what we know right now. Uh, so the sole power plant in Gaza is out of fuel. They have no electricity at all. And in fact, it's been like that for hours now. Uh, really devastating situation. There were even uh, posts on social media, people in Gaza saying like, I don't know if this is my last message. I don't know when, if the power is ever gonna come back on, you know, but just know what we're going through and that we're here, what we're going through and that we're here. Um, nine, at least nine UN staffers were killed in Israeli airstrikes. I've seen a number as high as 12. I know that at least one UN building was directly struck Five others were also damaged. There's 13 health facilities, uh, including hospitals that were hit and, and face dire shortages in Gaza. There's been uh, over 2000 airstrikes so far. Um, 1,100, this is the Washington Post numbers, I should be clear, because I'll get to other numbers in a second. Uh, the, the numbers vary a little bit because fog of war, we don't know everything, but 1,100 dead according to the Washington Post. All crossings closed. So there's, uh, you know, uh, Gaza shares a border with Egypt and there was talk about, well, well, we'll release some number of civilians through that border, but that border was actually bombed and uh, the crossing is closed. So now people in Gaza were told like, hey, you gotta get out of harm's way, but they really don't have anywhere to go and like I said, oftentimes what they do is they go to these UN shelters, but like I just said, some of the UN shelters were bombed. So the UN reports that there's 4,250 people injured and 265,000 that are displaced. And remember, Gaza's about twice the size of Washington, DC, very small, there's really nowhere to go. Um, so this is uh, from the Middle East Monitor. They say the Israeli Air Force planes have destroyed more than 22,639 homes. This one says 10 healthcare facilities and 48 schools. Um, now we go over to the Financial Times. I wanna give you some numbers from the Financial Times. They say that uh, in October, so I think this includes not just this current uh, war, but also some, uh, some deaths preceding that. Mm -hmm. They say there's a total of 2,555 fatalities on the Palestinian side, and now 1,200 fatalities on the Israeli side. Usually what happens in these conflicts is that, and this was definitely the case in Operation um, Protective Edge in 2014, the, the injury rate and the death rate on the Israeli side is usually much lower than it is on the, on the Palestinian side. In this instance, there's uh, many more Israeli deaths and injuries because, you know, Hamas, 
uh, basically did an invasion uh, into Israel and the IDF, which should have been on the border with Gaza, was protecting set the illegal settlers on the West Bank. And so they were like rampaging uh, through Israel and killing civilians. So that's why this fight in particular, you have more deaths or a lot of deaths among Israeli citizens relative to what normally happens in these yeah. uh, fights. And actually, I think uh, the latest numbers I saw from the Palestinian side, and again, we're recording this on Thursday, is um, 1,350 deaths on the Palestinian side. So you've actually, even in this one conflict, now surpassed the Israeli number of deaths on the Palestinian side. So. And we, and we, you know, I, I said it very early on that you're going to start seeing a massive discrepancy and it's going to grow and grow and grow. It's just so asymmetric. Well, yeah, and I mean, they lit Israel literally controls the electricity, the water, everything about Gaza, and they just shut everything off and they're doing a medieval-style siege. So, of course, the numbers are going to skyrocket. And then with the endless... Uh, airstrikes, they're going to go up even more. So uh, you actually just showed me this before the show, Crystal. I wanted to bring this up. So this is um, a poll from the Israel Policy Forum, and they're asking Jewish Israelis since the start of, of the war, 94% uh, of Jewish Israelis see the government responsible for the intelligence failure that led to the massacre. It's 94%. So they're basically wow. blaming Netanyahu directly. Unanimous. Uh, 67% of Israelis see the intelligence failure worse than that of the 1973 Yom Kippur War. 56% of Israelis believe Netanyahu must resign immediately after the war. That's more than half. 59% of Israelis have no faith in this government leading the war. So this is this is a poll that we know, and I'm curious what you guys think of this. In fact, I'll turn it over to you, Mac. My guess is this is all devastating for the government, but I also think if you were to poll the Israeli population, do you support a war right now against Gaza? I think that number would be 80%, 90% say yes. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree that, there, I mean, it's, you know, it's not just in Israel, it's also in the United States as well. There's definitely this, like, I, many people have made the comparison of like post 9-11 America, where it's just this feeling that, okay, we have to go out, we have to, you know, retaliate back, we have to sort of enact some sort of like vengeance. And so I think that there's a lot of that going on right now. And, you know, I mean, obviously it was a, it was a really brutal attack by Hamas into Israel. And, um, you know, as you just laid out there in the statistics, I mean, the the amount of people that we are about to see, especially with a potential upcoming ground invasion, if that ends up happening, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up seeing thousands and thousands and thousands of Palestinians, a, a huge bulk of which are going to be innocent civilians who, you know, have nothing to do with the Hamas attack that are going to end up being casualties of that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously, I think a majority of Israelis right now probably support an invasion. I think it's interesting or support some sort of a, a massive counteroffensive. But I do think it's interesting that, you know, a majority of them potentially, or you said close to a majority of them don't necessarily trust Netanyahu to, I guess, lead them in this war. But then you also have polling that says that he should resign after the war which is also kind of interesting because I yeah. guess a lot of people do kind of trust his instincts in launching this. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just think that, you know, regardless of, of how brutal they are or, or how thoroughly they think that they can go in and, you know, remove Hamas from power or, or totally eradicate Hamas, I just think, like, it's going to be another example of, um, you know, sort of like blowback that's just going to fester in the long run. You know, you can go in and, and kill as many Hamas militants or, or civilians as well on top of that as you want, but it's not going to solve any of the underlying issues. And so in the long run, what is this offensive even going to accomplish at all? Well, that's the thing is, I mean, it's not like this is the first Israeli attack on Gaza. 
and, you know, the previous efforts to quote unquote mow the grass that represent, you know, that resulted in thousands and thousands of deaths, including many, many civilians, didn't solve the problem. I mean, if you actually care about the security and safety of the Israeli people, this is completely counterproductive and unsustainable. And I think that to me is like, I mean, that already was obvious, but that's like the core takeaway from what happened here. And that's not to deny any, you know, agency of the murderers from Hamas or to justify their actions whatsoever. But there was this sense within the Israeli population that was, you know, very much put forward by Netanyahu, who's probably the leading proponent of this view of like, no, no, we're not even going to try for peace. We're not even going to pretend like we're interested in a two-state solution. In fact, I'm actively going to try to thwart any attempts to create a Palestinian state. Part of his efforts to thwart that creation of the Palestinian state was actively to bolster right. Hamas because he found them to be a useful foil. So we're not going to do that. We're going to just actually accept a legal occupation and the blockade of Gaza as the status quo. And I'm Mr. Security. You don't have to think about them anymore. You don't have to worry about them anymore. We're just going to keep you safe and move forward with the Abraham Accords and normalization of Saudi Arabia deals, all of which also presumed like we're just going to pretend like the Palestinians don't exist anymore. And that state of affairs, you know, that mental space that they were living in obviously no longer exists anymore. One other thing I wanted to say about um, the siege that Gaza is under right now is you know, when you think about no electricity, no water, no food, no electricity means you can't charge your phone. It means there's no wastewater treatment, it means there's no water pumps. It means the hospitals are now relying on generators, generators that have a very limited amount of fuel. And reports are already coming out that they are on the brink of collapse in terms of their hospital medical care system. There is no humanitarian corridor in place. There seems to be very little hope of establishing said humanitarian corridor. And so you're very soon going to be in a situation. They're already out of beds to treat the, the wounded there, you know, even at this point. So you really are on the brink of an absolute humanitarian catastrophe among a population that was already on the brink thanks to a 16-year blockade. So Israel supporters would say, well, what the hell do you want us to do? Hamas basically invaded our country and just started gunning down civilians left and right and taking hostages. And it's like the most brutal type of attack you could ever imagine. It's just like ISIS. And so they would say, well, look, what do you want us to do? And my response to that is, Nobody would begrudge you going after this specific people who did this. Yeah. They are terrorists. It is Hamas. It's called special forces, but it requires, you know, a high degree of intelligence and planning and organization. And it's not easy. It's, it doesn't feel like, you know, uh, retribution and revenge and, and retaliation. It doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't scratch that itch, if you will. But to your point on 9-11 and what everybody felt like on 9-12, and somebody literally made that point, like, hey, we didn't tell you to stand down on 9-12. Right. And it's like, you should you have. Should have. Yeah. And we <laughs> should have listened. Like something that's because known as one of the worst foreign policy blunders in modern history. Of course, because yeah. look, I mean, look, we immediately went to war in Afghanistan. Now, by the way, we said we were going after Al-Qaeda. There's fewer than 1,000 members, even at the time, maybe even fewer mm -hmm. than 100 members of Al-Qaeda in uh, Afghanistan. They said, oh, but the Taliban were housing them, so now they're our enemy by proxy. So, yeah, it's, it keeps getting right. removed degree by degree. And then in 2003, using the same 9-11 justification, we said we got to go take out Saddam Hussein. $7 trillion later in Iraq, $2 trillion later in Afghanistan. 
Afghanistan, minimum 110,000 innocent civilians dead in Iraq, thousands of our own soldiers dead, et cetera, et cetera. All these problems broke the Middle East, led to the rise of ISIS. And then we sit there like, what, this is something to be emulated? Right. Like everybody, everybody sympathizes, any reasonable person, I should say, because I have seen some psychos not agree with this, but anybody would sympathize with uh, a civilian population getting massacred by people who are terrorists and believe in political violence. The, the point is, you cannot do collective punishment in response to that. So uh, I also wanted to bring this up here. The Israeli energy minister says that electricity and fuel will not be allowed to return to Gaza until Israeli hostages are released by Hamas. Okay, so two points I, I need to make about this. Number one, Hamas, release the goddamn hostages. They're innocent. The whole point is they didn't do anything. They're not the illegal settlers. They're not some IDF commander who's gunning down a 14-year-old Palestinian boy. In many cases, these are women and children. Release the goddamn hostages. And on the flip side of that, also to the Israeli energy minister, for the love of God, stop cutting off the electricity to 2.3 million people because they're also, like 50% of the population is under the age of 15 in Gaza, right? How many women, how many children? I mean, to both of your guys' point here, what's going to happen is this is going to breed a lot more resentment and hatred. And and we'll get to this a little bit later when we have the segment Ben Shapiro uh, debating Tucker. But like, I heard him uh, talk on Piers Morgan and I watched one of his segments and he was like, look, they just hate us because they hate us. They hate us because they're uh, anti-Semites and they're evil. And he literally said, and they're not like you and me. They're not wow. like you and me. And it's like, if that's your analysis, I can't help you. If you really think this person is just n not human, they're subhuman, right? and they don't have the same concerns. Well, and that's how you get to casually justifying the indiscriminate murdering of innocent civilians, including many, many children and aid workers, by the way, and medical st staff. I mean, hospitals have been targeted. Paramedics have been targeted. <laughs> That's how you get to that place. I mean, I've seen all sorts of discussions of like, this is about barbarism. I saw this Atlantic think piece about like how um, Gaza is basically like Nazi Germany and the population has been taken over by this hateful rhetoric. It's like, that's how you end up justifying in casual, polite conversation, literal genocide. And by the way, that's also how Hamas ends up justifying their indiscriminate attacks on Correct, Israeli right. civilians. They're all guilty. Yeah. They say they're all guilty. Yep. Mm -hmm. They support this government. They support us being put in these cages. So they're all complicit, including the babies, including the women, including the, the peace activists, some of whom were murdered. There were Muslims that were murdered by Hamas as well. That's how you get to casually justifying genocide. And the amount of that that I have seen where this to me, I just... I have such a hard time wrapping my head around why it's so hard to say I'm opposed to war crimes. Full stop. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's Israel or Hamas. Like, I am opposed to the murder of babies. Yeah. The preventable death of babies. I am opposed to that. I wanted to point out um, people are passing around Ursula von der Leyen, who's the president of the EU Commission. When it was Russia attacking electricity supplies she had this to say she said russia's attacks against civilian infrastructure especially electricity are war crimes cutting off men women children of water electricity and heating with winter coming these are acts of pure terror and we have to call it as such now she's right yeah where is the moral clarity when it comes to israel doing the exact same atrocious thing that russia was doing to ukraine yeah, I mean, it's just collective punishment. And 
I, I think that I saw a, an old tweet of Zelensky that was pretty similar to what Ursula said as well. Um, you know, I mean, it is. It's just collective punishment. And I, I also saw some U.S., uh, you know, State Department spokespeople who were coming out and they were some of them were asked direct questions about it and saying, you know, you're calling out the the war crimes committed by Hamas against innocent Israelis. You know, what do you have to say about the fact that, as Kyle was pointing out, they're currently engaging in this collective punishment, cutting off the electricity, cutting off all of supplies in and out, you know, not allowing for even humanitarian corridors in, into Israel and Egypt is not allowing that as well. And, and they're asked directly questions about this and they basically just flat out deny that it's happening or won't acknowledge that it's happening mm. and just sort of like revert back to well israel is a democracy which i would disagree with its classification as a democracy yeah. but you know they'll just say israel is a democracy they're an ally and so we anticipate that they're going to you know fall in line with international you know human rights laws and things like that and it's like well you have direct evidence but it, they're not literally just, not right not just evidence <laughs> but like israeli politicians their own statements that they're making and it's it's a direct contradiction to international law and there's no there's no reckoning with that there's no admission of that one of them one of the israeli politicians called for nuking gaza right which by the way like apart from the fact that that's morally an abomination and utterly atrocious it also is impossible because it's right next to you and there would be consequences for you also <laughs> and also, also you, you guys to... are not supposed to have nukes I right yeah, yeah. there was kind of an embedded admission nukes. in that yeah. yeah yeah i mean what highlights this absurdity to the max is uh those two videos that have been floating around one of them was a protest in sydney australia where people were chanting gas the jews and fuck the jews and then another one was in the streets of new york where you had people chanting, kill all Palestinians. And in direct interviews, some of them said, uh, we're holding up a meme that showed like Gaza in one picture and the other picture, Gaza turned into a parking lot. And they're like, we need to do that. And also, by the way, if you don't do that, make Gaza the way it is right now, do that except all Jewish. Mm -hmm. Make it all, so in other words, do the ethnic cleansing, get them out of the way and let us do. And I feel like that highlights perfectly the, uh, the way everybody's lost their goddamn mind over this. It's like, it's very easy to say in the wake, especially after the Hamas terror attack, it's very easy to be like literally 100% solidarity. This shouldn't happen to anybody. This is unacceptable. Full stop. Full stop. At the same time, the reason why it's evil is because they just did collective punishment against innocent civilians and you're retaliating to that by doing collective punishment against innocent civilians. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like, like for the love of God. atrocity doesn't justify Responding the to another atrocity. Yeah. And then and then we feel like we're insane for pointing out the obvious, right? Because everybody's lost their goddamn mind. I, I mean, I came up, I'm curious who you guys think is, I came up with a new rule this week, which I call the normie rule of politics, which is if you take somebody who's normal person, uh, even apolitical, doesn't really follow this stuff, and you tell them, hey man, um, Hamas terrorists just gunned down innocent civilians in Israel. They'd be like, oh my God, that's terrible. I hate that. And then the next sentence you say, and also Israel's doing a medieval siege of Gaza where 2.3 million people have no electricity, no food, and no water, and thousands of people are being bombed to smithereens who are civilians. They'd be like, oh my God, that's terrible. I hate that. But if you bring it up to like a political junkie, <laughs> they'll like yeah. rationalize for one side or rationalize for the other side and make it like, I mean, what do you, you want to happen, right? And it's like, so I feel like normies have a better concept of politics than uh, yeah. many massive junkies. There's also, Mac, I've seen... So everyone saw the footage of the protests of, you know, like lefties and Palestinians and whoever saying outrageous genocidal things about Jewish people. Right. The one in Australia where they're mm -hmm. chant literally chanting gas the Jews. Um, huge outrage about this Harvard letter 
that said Israel was solely responsible for the violence and didn't put any responsibility, which is insane, on Hamas themselves, okay? Huge outrage over that. They're trying to, like, officially censure Rashida Tlaib, the only Palestinian-American member of Congress, for what was a total, like, a totally solid right. statement, which just happened to also acknowledge the broader context and the humanity of Palestinians as well. She's trying to be censured. So there's so much attention on that side of the rhetoric. But on the other, you know, the like out and out, hey, let's just genocide all of the Palestinians, which is a view that's not only held by a fringe, but is de facto the view of the entire U.S. government. Exactly. There seems to be a whole lot less attention and outrage about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the most frustrating things to me is that, of course, you're always going to have pretty much no matter what the issue is, like you can go out on the street and stick a microphone in, in people's faces on any side of any given protest. And you're going to find people who are saying absolutely deranged things. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, it's like, you know, on the one side of this, I see a lot of leftists who are principled, right? Like you guys and and other, you know, people who have platforms online and stuff. And it's, you know, no matter how many times you do condemn Hamas killing civilians, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, because as you said, you know, the U.S. government is not supporting Hamas. The U.S. government is not giving, what is it, $3.8 billion in aid to Hamas. But we are doing that for the government of Israel. We do have the president of the United States, Joe Biden, all of these other U.S. politicians who are going out there and effectively endorsing the war crimes that Israel yeah. is committing right now. And so you also have to recognize, like, yeah, there are a bunch of crazy people out there who— you know, we'll say insane things on, on either side of it. And I think it's ridiculous whether you're defending Hamas's attack in Israel or defending, you know, Israel's actions in, in Gaza or the West Bank. But you have to understand that that power discrepancy and you have to understand that, like, through official government policy, we are endorsing the crimes of one side of that. You know, that's not just people out on the streets. That's U.S. government policy. Yeah. And there is not a single member of Congress who is endorsing the actions of Hamas. Right. No, and not like, one. So tell you tell me which side of this has more power in the equation. Of course, and like you said, like AOC was totally clear or she even condemned extremist rhetoric yep. on, you know, on the Palestinian side and but to your point, like yeah, Rashida Tlaib makes a completely normal uh statement about like, I'm against civilian deaths wherever they occur. And also, by the way, the core of the issue really should be addressed so this doesn't happen again, namely, and the occupation uh, and the occupation and the apartheid system and the total police state and the lack of human rights and political rights for Palestinians. And yeah, that was viewed as like a bridge too far. And it's like, well, she's trying to get to the core of what led to this. That's trying to get to the core. It doesn't justify it. It doesn't rationalize a terror attack. She's just saying this is the core of what led to this. And it almost reminds me, uh, remember when 9-11 happened, and of course Osama bin Laden was the mastermind behind that, he literally released like an essay detailing, here is why I'm doing this. Right. And it's like, it was very, it was kind of long. There was like, what, like eight points or something like that? And it's like, there was an, an effort to say, if you discuss these things, you're actually rationalizing and justifying the terrorism. And it's like, no, I'm trying to understand where it comes from so that we can avoid it in the future. It's the most basic intellectual exercise you could ever imagine. But it's almost like a no-go zone mentally where it's like, if you go there, you're a traitor and you're like with the enemy. And it's like, no, we're just trying to understand where this comes from to avoid it in the future. And it's a similar situation here. And it, it's the same sort of red line in politics where if you cross that line, it's like, how dare you? You're in favor of Hamas terrorism. Yeah. It's like, no, she's not.
The other thing that disturbs me is that, you know, if you look at and there, there are charts out there, you can you can see of like the number of deaths on the Palestinian side of this conflict year after year after year, you know, thousands of Palestinians uh, just this year alone. If you look at, you know, the uh, the illegal Jewish settlers were like rampaging through Palestinian towns. And that's why the IDF was relocated, to protect the freaking settlers in the West Bank. And people were left to their own devices in, the, in southern Israel near Gaza because of Netanyahu's right-wing coalition. But, you know, when there was Palestinians being slaughtered, no one cared. No one was, you know, there was no international solidarity. Yeah. There was no moral outrage around it. And so, you know, it's it's just so disturbing to see who is allowed, whose humanity is allowed to be recognized and whose isn't and who gets to pick. And, and where the outrage is, if you're if you're not, you know, I mean, everyone's lives should be considered equally valuable. I just think that's the most basic principle. And the fact that you're met with such outrage, if you just try to uphold the most basic human standard is so perplexing to me. Let me respond to that, because I think I know why there's this uh different reaction depending on who the violence is done towards i really think it all comes back to the fact that when the violence is baked into the cake of the system and it's viewed just as the system people kind of shut their brains off and they yeah. think like well there must be some yeah. reason for this because this is just how it works you know what i mean and so there is actually you know two issues here which are the main question when you look at israel you have uh the illegal settlers in the West Bank, which are continuing to expand, continuing continuing to take more Palestinian villages. They just bulldoze their villages to the ground and come in and literally steal the land. Um, so that's one issue. And the other issue is that Gaza is basically a complete and utter police state with no political rights whatsoever, no human rights whatsoever. Uh, Israel controls most of the borders. Egypt controls one. It's an open air prison, as people have called it. Israel controls the food and the, and the fuel and the water and everything about life in Gaza. And it's like basically living under a permanent uh, apartheid-like system. So there's like the two main issues there. But I really think it does come back to um, when you make the injustice part of the system, People just kind of get used to it and think like, well, that's how, how it works. Yeah. Right. Like we have our boot on your neck. That's what it is. Yeah. And so people don't realize like, no, these are like all of these individual instances of that uh, oppression being exercised. That all matters. Like how many stories? I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen this, too. There's if you go back just within this year, there's like multiple stories of some 14 year old Palestinian getting sniped by, by the IDF. Right. When they're not doing anything, one of them and there was another one of a little girl who was sniped and yeah. they found from some some like security camera footage or whatever. They weren't doing anything. They weren't throwing a rock, weren't doing anything. And it's like that's just viewed as, well, it's just the way it works. You yeah. know, or even I mean, going back to the killing of uh, Shireen Abu Akleh, it was like, a you know, Palestinian, right. Amer mm -hmm. a Palestinian American journalist. And, you know, the IDF shoots, kills her in cold blood. And you have nothing. You have no accountability. Nobody ever got arrested for that. You know, nope. the U.S. government didn't even really put out any any firm response condemning Israel for that or calling it a war crime or anything. And that was even after the IDF came out and lied about it initially and blamed it on on Palestinians for saying that they fired the shot. And then you have all of these follow up investigations. But I mean, yeah, as you were pointing out there, especially under the, you know, what is probably the most far right. Israeli government in, you know, their history or in modern history, right, under Benjamin Netanyahu, you have had a significant 
escalation in the violence, especially against Palestinians in the West Bank. And, you know, you have you have some of these settlers who are going around with AK, you know, or, you know, AR-15s or whatever, and just going in and terrorizing innocent, you know, Palestinians who are just going about their day and, and searching their cars and, you know, uh, uh, you know, doing essentially what I think some people accurately call like pogroms in some instances. And that's also with the full backing of the IDF. It's not right. as if they're just, yeah. you know, some fringe actors who are doing this solo. And so all of those actions, all of that escalation and violence plays a role it doesn't justify at all what hamas did but plays a role in terms of building up that tension to where it gets to a a boiling point point where this kind of an attack you know would end up happening yeah and that's why the ben shapiro point is so stupid yeah right because it's like you're just saying these people are ontologically evil and they just right. hate us because they hate us and it's like really you yeah. like you I don't want to dig a little deeper well, to see if it, maybe there's something else there racism right right but it like, also, that's just all that is it also goes back racism. to um you know it goes back to the same 9-11 mindset right is because like that was sort of like one of the narratives against you know al-qaeda and osama bin laden is like well why did they attack us well because they hate democracy right and freedom. yeah and it's right. like well no right. not really i mean you know you could go like, you back, can read the thing and see what the right. actual reason or, was, yeah. or go back to the united states you know helping to fund arm and train the mujahideen in afghanistan against the the Soviet backed government at that time. And then you have all of these different radical fundamentalist groups that end up splintering off of that. And so that also, you know, in, in some sense, you could say 9 11 and Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda was partially a result of, of, of blowback. Yeah, that's previous, the blowback you know, idea. Yeah. There's also just, I mean, I, we don't need to go through bin Laden's whole list, but there was also like troops, uh, U.S. troops in, in the Holy Arabia. Land. Right. Some of it was over Israel and Palestine. But anyway, look, right. I want to jump into this story. Um, so, Haretz, that's how I pronounce it. I don't know if that's actually yeah. how you pronounce Right. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, they're talking about Gal Gadot. Is that pronounced uh, correctly? We're going to go with Gadot. Gadot. We're going with Gadot. We're going with Gadot, guys. Gal Gadot <laughs> drew a parallel between uh, the killing of Israelis and the killing of Palestinians. She said something very, uh, I would say this is very uh, straightforward, innocu innocuous, non-controversial. Shouldn't be controversial. So here, I think this was on Instagram. She said, quote, killing innocent Palestinians is horrific. Killing of innocent Israelis is horrific. If you don't feel the same, I think you should ask yourself why that is. I, based? Like, like yeah. I was, I, it super based. based. It shouldn't even be controversial. Right. Like, that's the thing to me is like, that sh is the most anodyne statement. Innocent people shouldn't be murdered. Right. War crime's bad, right? Like, it's just very simple. Can and I tell you what was, they said? Yeah, go ahead. So the post sparked an uproar and drew scathing criticism from her followers, including TV host Ofira Asiag, who told Godot to, quote, keep quiet. Asiag shared a screenshot of Godot's story on her Instagram account and wrote, Gal Godot, you deleted your post. Well done. I've held myself back from answering you several times because you're concerned about your income and career, and that's fine. But this time you've crossed the line. Well, and it, people should also know it's not like she's been, you know, going like, yay, Hamas or anything. She's been posting a lot about how upset and outraged she is about the atrocities committed. She's by not pro Hamas. That's uh, yes. Yeah. It's so obvious. She's Israeli. The yeah. only thing she said here is like, hey, we should care about Palestinian lives. So I'm not mass done. Mass outrage. You want to know what happened next? Oh, God. She apologized. She posted an apology. Quote, Ophira, Ophira, my love, I am sorry if my words were not understood in the way that I meant them. All I want is to speak out for Israel and the world and to show the horrors that we are experiencing and to help obtain worldwide support in the face of our critics. I will continue to do whatever I can in order to make Israel's outcry heard everywhere. My heart is bleeding and I am beside myself with sorrow over what is wow. happening. You know, th look, this is why, God damn it, 
this is why anytime anybody gets criticism, it's actually kind of refreshing when they're like, no, fuck off. You know what I mean? Like there's something people respect about that. Oh, you're criticizing me? How about you go suck a horse dick? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that seem, that feels better because this is like, you said the most reasonable shit in the world and now you're backing off now of it because some idiots were coming after you? God damn it. Well, it also shows the like disparity in the level of criticism over, you know, again, if you even express any kind of empathy for Palestinians or support for Palestinian life, then you're reciting Hamas talking points and how dare you invisibilize Israeli suffering. And as you said, Mac, it doesn't matter how many times you express your moral outrage and indignation and empathize with the suffering and grieve for the murdered Israelis, because if you then at any point express any sort of sympathy for Palestinians, then you're just like, you know, justifying Hamas atrocities. And the other thing, you know, with this, I've seen so, so many celebrity posts gone awry. <laughs> the Bieber one yeah, was Justin great. Bieber. Yeah, Bieber and classic. Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah. both of them. Oh my God, you got to tell people what happened. Yeah. Tell so what Bieber posted, hold on, I should pull them up so I get the specifics here. It was a picture. I can, of, I can tell them. It, was a it, picture it said, of Pray Gaza, for Israel. Right? It said, Pray for Israel. This is Bieber's yeah. post. Yeah. And it was a picture of Gaza, Gaza which was obliterated rubble. by bombing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, does he not know that that's. Like you really, and he ended up, he ended up deleting it, and then he he posted the same like praying for Israel with like a generic background oh. behind it. So. <laughs> oh really? Oh yeah. Now Jamie Lee Curtis. So she posted a photo that has. Um, I saw this photo actually in the New York Times that has Palestinian children in Gaza. It's like a little boy holding what appears to be his little sister and they're looking up and they have this just horrible look of sheer terror on their faces. And she writes terror from the skies and puts the Israeli flag, clearly thinking sh this is from Israeli Israel. children yeah. who are terrified. And then, you know, they don't realize that what they're posting is actually, you know, making kind of the opposite of the point right. that they want to make, that they're accidentally supporting, like, and and um, centering the, the pain of Palestinians and the suffering of innocent Palestinian citizens, even as, you know, Israelis obviously also deserve that empathy and sympathy. But yeah, the, I'm just calling for a complete shutdown on, uh, no more celebrities. on celebrity posts <laughs> okay. about this. But what, what think, ended up like... happening with Jamie Lee Curtis? She deleted it. Yeah. Right. When she heard, oh, my God, these are actually Palestinians yeah, who are afraid of. she didn't say, like, oh, my God, I'm so concerned for these Palestinian children. It's like, no. oh, now that I know they're Palestinian, I actually don't give a shit about Correct. them. Correct. Right. Right. And there are so many kids that are literally, you know, going through a similar thing right now. I mean, I can't even tell you guys how many videos I've seen come across my timeline of, of children who are being, like, pulled from the rubble and, you know, just going through, like, absolute hell right now. And so, yeah, I mean, on the celebrity thing, you would think that after, like, the sixth or seventh mistake, in a situation like this, either, like you said, maybe we just have like a ban on celebrities posting during moments yeah. like this and they just don't do anything. For real. Or maybe, you know, extend your sympathies to maybe both sides of that equation and, and try to think about how you came to to post a picture of, of Gaza flattened to oblivion or, you know, Palestinian children looking up at the sky. I mean, it's it's obviously a lot deeper than a black and white issue. That's right. And, and now we're going to dive a little deeper into kooky world. The celebrity thing is like silly ultimately even yeah. though they're yeah. it's terrible what they did because they're ridiculous people, people. Right. now we go to somebody who unfortunately is serious but also ridiculous watch this the money financing terrorism comes from iran it's time for this terrorist state to pay a price for financing and supporting all this chaos yes if you're the iranians if we're up to me this war escalates i'm coming after you i think this is what i'm trying to clarify here because i I'm wondering us if what in you're, Israel, us in Israel, us, the United States no, and no, Israel, I be crystal clear. 
the United. So let me a just joint let me just between, um, let me just understand yeah, you. Yes, just sorry. to be clear, you're saying yeah. that you would want the United States and Israel to bomb Iran, even in the absence you of direct it. evidence of their involvement in this uh, attack. Yeah, I mean, he was asked directly, even in, with the lack of evidence, and he's like, "Yeah." And he Iran. before she even finished, she jumped in and was like, "You got it." Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't even go with the, you know, he could have at least been like, well, you know, like in a more generic sense, you know, uh, Iran backs uh, Hezbollah, they back Hamas. And so, you know, we have to extinguish them at the end of the day. No, he just like cut straight to it. He was just like, yeah, even if there's no direct evidence that they had anything to do with this attack. Nobody's learned anything from the well, war Lindsey in Iraq. Well, Lindsey Graham certainly hasn't well, learned I mean, anything from the war in he's, Iraq. <laughs> he's, he's one of the leaders for still, the wrong position. I think, defend the war in Iraq, right. even to this day. I, mean, I think he's one of those that's like that unreconstructed. The man has never seen a war that he isn't trying, itching to get into. But like the Iran thing, you, to connect those dots, like, yeah, it's true that Iran, they are an ally of Hamas and they're all allies with Hezbollah and Syria. Like, that's true. But just the fact that their allies is being used as reason enough for, yeah, we could just attack them right. now, you know? Yeah, no, it's very Bush era, black and white, axis of evil. Yeah. Right. We've got to mm -hmm. be the civilizing force in the region. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And by the way, it's not just Lindsey Graham. I mean, there's been this whole, he's the one who's most out there, okay, as far as I've seen. You had Marco Rubio saying some really atrocious stuff. Dean he, Phillips. Dean Phillips, the, who's the a Democrat, Democratic congressman. Also like, hey, if it's true that Iran directly helped Hamas in these attacks, which it doesn't necessarily look like that's true at this point, but he's like, if that's true, then we got to go to war with Iran effectively. Even if Nikki it was Haley. True. I mean, even if it was true, imagine the, the chaos and destruction and, and loss of life that would come from Yeah, no, yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to agree with you 100 percent. And this yeah. might be controversial. But even if it is true, you shouldn't do war of with Iran. Yeah. It would absolutely it would dwarf the 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 war in Iraq in yeah. terms of how horrible it is, how much money it costs, how many people die. It would be a historic disaster. And also, by the way, once you start getting in that territory, you really are just a, a fucking pubes hair length away from World War Three. Yeah. You know, because no. oh. then you drag, you dra when you drag in Iran, that means you drag in uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon, that means you drag in Syria, then you have Russia, uh, potentially China can get involved. Like, it starts getting really, re we're already on shaky ground, that is the shakiest of shaky I mean, ground. Lindsey Graham is the one who was out there, like, this is a religious war. Yeah, like, holy war, yeah. Framing it in terms of, like, worldwide, ww3 sectarian conflict uh, it's it's pure insanity and the other thing that i've noticed though this talking point got picked up like this i don't know what it is with the right wing but man they get on the message like immediately mm -hmm. they started fear-mongering about we're gonna see terrorist attacks in america hamas cities. sleeper yeah. cells hamas yeah. sleeper cells. Like, they're you don't know anything about border. politics if you think hamas is gonna attack in the u.s yeah. but that, i mean and that's the thing it doesn't matter that it's totally disconnected from reality and that gets back to that 9-11 like the way that they were able to so effectively get total unanimous you know uniformity of opinion and manufacture consent among the american population was by scaring people that mm -hmm. this could happen in your city and there's all these al-qaeda sleeper cells etc cetera, etc cetera. man they picked that up at the drop of a hat and have been i've heard so many republicans on that messaging about like hamas is going to come to your city next and murder you yeah. and your children etc now we should be clear the u.s says uh there is no evidence that right. iran was involved in this attack yes and that's the one thing that has been heartening is like 
um, you had this initial Wall Street Journal report, which was based on the accounting, actually, of Hamas and Hezbollah <laughs> officials that were like, yeah, Iran was Don't trust the word they say, but also take their word but on also, this. But also, like, yeah. there's our sources. Hamas and Hezbollah would want Iran to get involved right. in the conflict. Right, they would they want them because they want that. their backing. They that's want their help. That's they're oh trying God. to create the bigger war, too. Right. So. So they're like, oh, we're just going to take Hamas and Hezbollah's word for this. So not only did the U.S. intelligence come out and say, we have not only have we not seen any signs of this planning, but they also told CNN that Iran appeared to be surprised by the attack. Yeah. But we should be and clear. The God. Israelis also said that they had seen no sign that Iran was involved in the planning. And the reason that's so encouraging to me is because, like, listen, obviously, intelligence officials, like, they lie to the public and the paper of record and everybody all the time. But that's an indication to me that they're also trying to potentially avoid an out-and-out -out war with Iran. We should be clear that the Ayatollah did come out after the attack, the Hamas attack, and did say, we support this against, you know, the, yeah. the Zionist aggressors, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So they do, he like supports the attack, but then a day or two later, they also came out and said, just so you know, we actually weren't involved in the planning of this yeah. whatsoever. And you so know that, both things were said. You know that the governments of, of the United States and Israel, if Iran did have, if they had any suggestion whatsoever that Iran was directly involved in this, that they would use that, you know, in whatever capacity they wanted to their own advantage. It's not as if they are like, you know, staunch defenders of the integrity of the Iranian government. It's terrifying, and, man. And going back to, you know, the, the Lindsey Graham thing again, um, I just think it's like incredibly ironic that, they're willing to basically push us to the brink of, of World War III to go after Iran when the justification is that the Iranians are, are supporting and funding terrorists. And it's like at the same time, one of our best buddies in, in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, is arguably the, the greatest exporter of terrorism in the region. Without yeah. a doubt. We're not calling for war with the Saudis. I mean, we, we defend them. You know, right. we, we mm -hmm. help them with their foreign policy. That's right. So I just think it's it's ridiculously ironic in that sense. That's, yeah, well, that that's is exactly a really right. great point. Without a doubt, they're the number one state sponsor of terrorism. I wanted to get your thoughts, Max, um, on the media coverage, which, um, you know, like for just as one example here, I was looking at the Washington Post headline this morning and to their credit, they are covering um, what's going on in Gaza and the number of strikes and, you know, the, the attacks on hospitals and the deaths of aid workers and the siege and the fallouts from the siege. And yet the language they use is so sanitized and passive and neutral. So their headline was just humanitarian crisis unfolds right. in Gaza. No, like, why is it unfolding? Yeah. Who's behind the unfolding? Is it an Is it a war crime? Is it a massacre? Like the sort of very evocative, visceral language that they have no trouble using when it's Hamas and justifiably so is completely stripped away when it comes to, you know, Israeli atrocities. And I've noticed that across the board. I've seen it at the New York Times. I mean, I've seen it across the board, not to mention the disproportionate amount of coverage of like humanizing Israelis good, but very little humanizing of Palestinians. Um, on the other hand, I do want to say that, you know, perhaps it's a low bar, but there are at least a few voices in media now that at least somewhat take right. the Palestinian view into account. You know, we were looking at a couple interviews on, on CNN yeah. that had um, Palestinian activists and officials that were, you know, given a hearing. We've talked about uh, Eamon Moyaldeen, Mehdi Hassan, and Ali Velshi over at MSNBC. Who They're are, about to get fired. Who are getting, uh, who are under tremendous pressure. But the, the fact that you have them out there saying, you know, anything different from the normal, like, totally lockstep Israel has a right to defend herself, and that's that narrative, I do see as, like, at least a little bit of progress. 
Yeah, no, it's definitely, I think it's slightly different now than it would have been maybe like 10 years ago or something. It's improved a little bit. And, and you know, you can also look at polling data, obviously, before this attack. And you can see that a lot of Americans, especially younger Americans, are much more sympathetic to the Palestinian cause than they had been in previous years. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's improving in that sense, but you still just have this overwhelming consensus. And, uh, you know, as you were pointing out there, you know, you can look at, at sometimes, I, I see this floating across my, my Twitter feed all the time, but you can look and it's like in one headline, the top portion of it will say, you know, however many X amount of Israelis killed by Hamas in terror attack. And then in the next line, it says like 500 dead or 500, you know, uh, casualties in Gaza. And it's just they, they take passive out, language. Yeah, it's passive all language. passive language. Yeah. It's the same thing that like, you know, the U.S. Uh, police that they use for the U.S. police when, when officer they involved shooting. Right. Exactly. It's like you mean the officer murked some unarmed person. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. you can't it's say a, that. It's a very similar thing. All right. So now I want to show you guys. Woo. This was wild. So Cornell West, um, he's got this weird like buddy sitcom relationship that goes on with Hannity. Right. Where it's like. I disagree with everything you say, but you're my dear brother. And he's like, I hate you too. And black people, but you're my dear brother. <laughs> so um, so anyway, um, Alan Dershowitz, your favorite. You've always been a big, they call you a Dershead. Well, right? I, I, appreciate, I appreciate his Epstein ties in particular. Yes. That's, yeah. that's yes. one of my favorite aspects. He did not get touched by that woman. <laughs> he just went on the flights and whatever. Anyway, sure. so Alan Dershowitz uh, went on Hannity's show and they had on Cornell West. And of course, naturally, Hannity starts it, but they ambush him. They ambush Cornell West. Why? Because he dares to show any semblance of nuance in the conversation of course, on the war in the Middle East. Uh, so, but it gets heated. Watch this. Engage in crocodile tears, blame it on Israel, when the entire blame is on the Palestinians, Hamas, for using their children, their children as human shields, and then using their children as shields to permit the killing of Israel. What is Hamas's charter? I have the same outrage when... Palestinian babies are killed when it Jewish babies be or Israeli babies. Outrage. I want you to have the same indignation oh. when Palestinians are killed. Not when they're That's killed. Not consistent. when they're killed by Palestinians. When that you can't make Where's a moral comparison. When Nazi kids were killed in the bombings of Dresden, I didn't have the same comparison when Jewish kids were put in gas chambers and crematoriums. You're a professor of theology. Don't you understand the moral difference I between deliberately murdering a kid and having collateral damage because there are human shields? You're running for president of the United States. What would you do? Oh, if, wait, 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 let me tell you, let me ask the question. Do. Let me ask the question. Okay. What would you do if they were firing, if terrorists were firing at American children in America and the terrorists were hiding behind Palestinian children? Would you allow the killing of Americans to continue or would you go and get the terrorists even if it meant possibly collateral damage on Palestinians? What would you do? I'll tell you exactly what I would do. First, truth and morality tend to be two casualties in any context of war. I would want to tell the American people the truth. I would tell them what the context is, how we found ourselves in this situation. I would not jump for a military what, what invasion do? and a genocidal attack on a, a genocidal attack on Gaza. No, no, you, you, it's you not talk a about genocidal where are they supposed to go when you're where killing are they supposed to terrorists. Go? Well, this is like Warsaw, 1943. Where do they go? Where do they go? Yes. Let me tell you where they go. Do they where go to the UN? UN, UN is keeping from Gaza them. to they Geneva. Go, they go to no, no, no. The UN has places in Gaza. They go to the eleven UN people have they, been killed they, in the last few they days. Go, they go to Egypt. 
They go. Egypt had to wait a minute. Get out. Let Come me on, make brother. another thing clear. No, Gaza no, no, no. City is very dense. Yeah, but Gaza it itself, the Gaza Strip, there's lots of room. The Israelis have said, get out of Gaza City. Go to Rafah. Go to Khan uh, Yunus. Go to other places. And you know what Hamas With is no saying? no water, no Wait food, no electricity. You know what Hamas is saying? Hamas is saying, don't go. Oh, I'm, I'm not Don't here to defend go. Hamas. Well, you are no, I'm not defending oh, Hamas. Wait a minute. Don't you ever lie on me Did like you that, brother. Ever? I'm defending the suffering and the, and the, of, of Palestinians. I want to hear and, how, and Hamas itself I, I committed hear, war crimes. I want to hear you Anybody say. Anybody who commits war crimes are barbaric. I, I'm saying that explicitly. But I, I want I, you to say if the Israeli defense forces are killing children, no, no. are they barbaric too? No, no, are they, no, are they ever no, barbaric? No, no, no. If they target, no. if they target children, yes. Uh, have they ever targeted no, children? No, absolutely never. Never in, in, never in, in, in the in history years. have they ever targeted oh, brother, a child you got to deliberately. Get off the crack pipe. I agree with Cornell West when he says, "Get off the crack pipe." Okay, <laughs> so um, so many points there. Number one, the collateral damage argument. Look, Alan Dershowitz. The concern is, and I think this concern is very well founded. It's actually not collateral damage. It is very much on purpose. Yeah. Well, we know that they're doing a medieval siege of Gaza where there's 2.3 million people and nearly half the population is 15 or younger, right? So we know they're cutting off everybody's electricity, everybody's water, that, uh, and we'll get to more on this in a second, but civilian infrastructure is being bombed relentlessly. And when you look at Operation Protective Edge in 2014, it was the lowest number was they killed 63% civilians. The highest number was 80% civilians, and it included over 500 children. When you're killing up to 80% civilians, don't tell me it's a, whoops, my bad, because I don't believe you. Yeah. If 80% of the time, same thing when Barack Obama had a 90% civilian death rate with the drones, it's like, oh, you actually don't care that you're killing civilians. That's right. You're okay with killing civilians. That's the first point. Second point is the human shields argument drives me nuts because uh, I've, Here's the idea of a human shield, okay? Somebody goes into your kid's school and they have a, a knife and they hold the knife up to your kid's throat. And let's say there's three terrorists doing this and they have three kids with knives up against their throat. Should the local police force then carpet bomb the school and kill everybody inside, including all the kids and all the teachers and all the innocent people? Is that what they should do? Because in that context, everybody looks at that and goes, of course you don't do that. But the, the, the logic from the Israeli government, when you give them those facts, is like, no, you should carpet bomb the school. Right. It's like, we using, don't agree. We don't agree. They're using the kids as human shields. Yes. So any level of civilian atrocity is Is acceptable. Is and it's 100% their, their fault. No, you have a choice. You have agency in that moment on how to respond. And this is why I keep saying the Hamas terrorists that actually purposely targeted civilians, go after them, but use special forces so that you don't have any civilian deaths. Dershowitz says, uh, quote, it's not a genocidal attack. Well, when you're doing a siege of all of Gaza and half of Gaza is children, how can you say how can you say that when they've hit literally thousands of civilian apartment buildings, when they've hit a number of schools and hit a number of hospitals? He says, well, go to the U.N. shelter. They bombed one of the U.N. shelters. And then beyond that, five others were damaged. And by the way, there's 200,000 people who are trying to get in to those shelters. And so uh, I'll end on when he says the IDF killing children. Um, is not barbaric. And it's like, well, that just says it all right there now, doesn't it? The point of Cornell West is I am against war crimes. I am against civilian casualties across the board. Intentional, unintentional, uh, you know, on a goat, in a moat. It doesn't matter. I'm against civilian casualties. And his point is no. And he actually says, he brings up like Nazi kids. If a Nazi kid was killed, uh, would you care as much about that as, you know, one of the allied uh, forces, kids or whatever? And it's like, dude, children 
are not Nazis. They are children. How can a two-year-old be a Nazi? They're shitting in their diaper. They have humanity, right? Like these are not, it's not like these people are all like Hitler's right-hand man or some shit. They are children. They're innocent by definition. And he's like, no, actually they're not innocent. Would I care about German babies during World War II? Of course I do. Of course, who did I want you to murk? I wanted you to murk Hitler. I wanted you to murk Goebbels. I didn't want you to murk a two-year-old or some toddler. What are you, crazy? Yeah, and I'm sure to the mother whose child is murdered, it's not a lot of comfort that, oh, it was it was collateral damage, so it was morally actually fine. Yeah, it's it's crazy, too, because, you know, it's not as if, like, like, I think that people, when when you use the phrase, like, human shield or something, they have sort of in their minds the idea that you have, like, a Hamas militant who's about to, like, fire a rocket into Israel, and they put a, a child in front of them, and oh, oops, the, the, you know, Israeli airstrike hit both of them. But it's like, no, if you actually look at, at the way that Israel defines what, what classifies as a human shield, it basically includes the entirety of the Gaza Strip. That's right. You know, and I mean, also they don't provide, you know, with the AP building example from a couple of years back, they flatten the AP building to the ground. Do they provide any evidence for, for you know, Hamas militants being in that building? No, I mean, in many of these instances, they provide absolutely no evidence or justification, even sometimes in secret to the United States government behind the scenes. And so it's like, no, I mean, I don't I don't buy that line at all. It seems like, you know, it's, it's, it's a very obvious excuse for them to go in, have absolutely no regard for, you know, Palestinian children whatsoever, and then just throw, you know, throw that all on Hamas's shoulders and say, well, they're all responsible for, I mean, I've, I've literally seen people today on, on Twitter saying that, saying that every single civilian death in Gaza is the responsibility of Hamas, as if, as if the government of Israel has no agency in this, especially right. given the fact that they have all of this high-tech military equipment and any surveillance state and all these, this, this military apparatus that the, you know, the people in, in Gaza have, have absolutely no, nowhere close to that or nothing, you know, remotely resembling that. And so it's just, I mean, it seems like it's just a very obvious excuse for, for endless brutality. And, and, you know, it's obviously going to escalate, I think, over the next couple of days from here. Netanyahu has used a lot of rhetoric about, like, this is about the civilized world versus barbarism. Yeah. And it's like, you actually have already surpassed the barbarism of Hamas mm -hmm. because you are literally collectively punishing the entire population. And now the deaths on the Gaza side are even more than the horrific Israeli atrocities. So if you're such a civilized nation, you should be able to handle this in a more pinpointed way of going after the people who are actually the murderers, who are actually the terrorists, who actually do bear responsibility and show what an example of civilized behavior you are to the world. But, you know, the other thing, Max, to your point, I mean, not only did they get caught lying all the time. You mentioned the journalist Shireen before and how they initially were like, oh, no, we think it was the Palestinians. No, it wasn't. It was, you know, after the fact, huge investigation. And clearly it was IDF bullets that killed her. You know, they lied about that AP building. They said they tried to argue, oh, Hamas was in there, human shield, et cetera, et cetera. No evidence that Hamas even had offices in the building, anything like that. So they lie all the time about these things. But you also just had this tremendous intelligence failure. You didn't see this huge attack coming. You were actually warned about it, and you were so arrogant that you were like, no, no, we don't think so. We, you know, we're more worried about what's going on with the Jewish settlers. So even there, the idea that they could, like, pinprick target where Hamas terrorists were in Gaza, like, I don't think anyone should have any confidence in their yeah. ability 
to know where people are. They're hitting markets. They're targeting paramedics. Mosques. Mosques. The U.N. very U.N. Um, relief agencies where, you know, Dershowitz is telling Cornell West the people are supposed to gather are getting struck. Schools. Twelve of them are dead, by the way. Twelve U.N. And Red Cross um, paramedics right. are dead mm -hmm. as well. So, and this is such a densely packed area. It's one of the most tightly packed, densely populated places on the entire planet. People can't leave. There is nowhere they can go to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the wild back and forths I wanted to share with you. I have one more for you. So there's this massive split on the right between the the traditional neocons, which, you know, the George Bush, Dick Cheney era Republicans and many in the party have embraced that ideology and have stuck with that ideology versus what used to be like the Pat Buchanan wing, the paleocons, paleoconservatives mm -hmm. who are more isolationist on foreign policy than they are interventionist. Yeah. Uh, yet Pat Buchanan represent that ideology. But then you also later on had, of course, Trump came along and at least in rhetoric embraced that, even though functionally he was more of a neocon. But and people like Tucker Carlson, who are more uh, paleoconservative. So um, Tucker was interviewing Vivek Ramaswamy and they were talking about um, what happened in Israel. And Ben Shapiro got furious over how they talked about it. Let's watch and then we'll react. And Tucker, by the way, then continued along these lines. He did an interview with Vivek Ramaswamy and he likened what just happened in Israel, the, the kidnapping of women and their rape. I mean, he's showing video of this happening, like as he's talking about this. He compared that to drug overdose deaths in the United States. Now, I, I believe we should fully care about the 100,000 drug overdose deaths that happened in the United States. These are two completely different issues. To, to go this far afield to link the issues, you're, the only reason you're doing this is because you wish to downplay the atrocity that just happened in Israel. You're not upplaying the atrocity of what's happening on America's streets. Those are two different types of atrocities. People who are addicted to fentanyl, sticking needles in their arms and overdosing is a, is a, is a moral blight. It is a moral atrocity and a moral evil for people to kidnap women, rape them, and drag them back to the Gaza border. Those are not the same thing. And Tucker knows that. But this is a cheap way of, of telling you not to look. Don't look. Stop caring. Because after all, what does it matter? What does it matter? Now, again, I, I don't know who thinks that that's a sophisticated point of view, especially when nobody is calling for America to go to war with Iran. The entire purpose of having an aircraft carrier in the Mediterranean is to, is to avoid that. But here, here is Tucker playing. I don't even know the game he's playing. This is just a dumb it's a dumb game. But you don't have to look far in the United States for moral outrages also on video. And there's not a city in this country, not just the big cities, but cities of 10,000 people. I was in one yesterday that doesn't have some constellation of drug addicted young people living outside. We call them the homeless. They're drug addicts. And they're addicted to drugs that were imported across. An What's open that border, have to do with the price of tea in China? I don't understand. More than 100,000 a year. Now, you can call it genocide. You can call it whatever you want, but it's the death of over 100,000 Americans a year and the living death of millions of Well, you can't call it genocide. It's not outside. genocide. So sure. I, I don't understand. I'm sorry, people who are addicted people to are drugs and living outside. Israel. And again, I, I want to add my voice to that because I'm a human being. But oh, sure you do. The you sound very outraged. The outrage among Republican presidential candidates was so much more intense. One of them took to a bullhorn and started yelling about it. I get it. But no one would think to do that about the 100,000 American young people murdered every year. and they Because who are you yelling at? Who are you yelling at? First of all, people are on bullhorns yelling about drug overdoses and the open border all the time, all the time. What is he even talking about? What he's attempting to do is minimize what happened in Israel. He's not attempting to maximize what happened in the United States. He's attempting to minimize as though America can't walk and chew gum morally speaking at the same time, which is absurd. And those two things are nothing alike. 
I'm sorry, that is not alike. It is not alike for drug smugglers to smuggle drugs over the border, which someone then takes and shoves into their arm and then they dive in overdose. That is not the same thing. I promise you, it is not the same thing as a terrorist breaking into your home and murdering your children in their beds in front of you and dragging your wife off to be raped in Gaza. That is not the same thing. Pretending that it is, is a moral, it's a moral blight. It's idiocy. It's just moral stupidity at the highest level. Of course we should care about what happens with fentanyl. Of course we should care about, we should close our border. Have I been unclear about this? Of course America should have closed borders when it comes to this sort of stuff. I'm on the same side as Tucker on that. I just don't understand why he's not on my side when it comes to Hamas has to be wiped off the face of the earth. Okay, so I'm interested to hear your guys' reaction to my reaction to it, because I have a little bit of a unique uh, take on it, I think, that... I think this actually demonstrates how paleoconservatism is not equipped to deal with neoconservatism. In other words, you can't answer neoconservatism with paleoconservatism. You have to answer neoconservatism with leftism, social democracy, liberalism, socialism, like a real left point of view. Because I actually agree that he's like, well, that's a total non sequitur. You can care about both things at the same time. So when your argument to be anti-war is just well, what about everything going on in our country? That's not enough. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so what Tucker can't do, because he's not a liberal or a leftist, right, is he can't say, well, why exactly did this attack happen? Nobody, nobody agrees with, no reasonable person agrees with it. Nobody justifies it. Nobody excuses it. At the same time, we know exactly what's at the core of this. We know it has to do with the illegal occupation, the apartheid, Palestinians living in a permanent police state with no human rights, no political rights whatsoever, uh, being as brutal a system as you can possibly imagine. I mean, the, the illegal settlers walking in and just raising entire Palestinian villages with bulldozers and then telling them like, yes, I'm stealing your land and it's okay because my God says I can take this land, right? And Tucker's not equipped to get into the history of the region and talk about the specifics and say, well, look, this is how we got to this point, right? And so I actually think Ben gets the better of Tucker in this exchange because he's saying like, you're just like reflexive. Well, what about us? That's that's not, uh, in a moment like this, that's actually not gonna win the exchange. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I think, I think that's a good point. Um, Cause I was thinking the same thing of like, well, that's not really a strong argument on the overdose piece, even though, you know, part of what um, Shapiro is saying there is like, well, here you have a direct moral atrocity of like people murdering civilians. And with the addiction crisis, there is still a moral atrocity, but he want to wants to pretend it's all just like on those individual people and that there are no evildoers. Um, yeah, there's no intentionality in, in the There's no intentionality, right. Right. but yeah. there is a lot of evil there to be seen as well. So in that way, I think the two are more linked that maybe he wants to talk about. But the other thing I was thinking about is like Republicans who are opposed to further Ukraine aid. Like the argument that Tucker is making here about Israel, they've been making routinely all of them over and over again about Ukraine. And, you know, I didn't hear any objection from Ben when it was be about Ukraine. But now that it's about Israel, something he really cares about, then suddenly he's like, wait a second, we to can hold fair, these things in our I head. I think he is actually in favor of Ukraine aid, to be fair. Yeah, but I, I haven't, I'm just saying, I haven't heard this specific objection and I haven't heard anybody making this particular objection. And the other thing on, um, you know, I've noticed this throughout the right, like 
they're very opposed to this, you know, really black and white view of the conflict. And they're really opposed. They they have this whole, you know, let's focus here at home. But the tone completely shifts when it does come to Israel. So it's very selectively That's what I've seen, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. No, I, I agree with your your general assessment at the top there, Kyle. I just think it's kind of, you know, like you said, the only the, the only actual real way to analyze these kinds of things is, I think, from like a more leftist, like material analysis and understanding the historical context in which any of these things happen. Or, or like, like he said, I mean, as if, as if Tucker Carlson or Ben Shapiro really have like legitimate policy solutions to, you know, fentanyl overdoses in the United States. What's, what's their policy <laughs> right. solution yeah. for that? Locking Who's down trapped? the border, it's a, it's going to war, war with China yeah, exactly. or going to war, war with Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. It's like all of these things would be disastrous. Here's right? my solution. Uh, stop taking drugs. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's basically that's it. it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah, stop right? taking drugs. And, yeah, I mean, good. all <laughs> of these other certain, like the left will, will come to these issues and, and they'll say, okay, here's what we have. We have, you know, material support for people who are addicted. We have addiction services. We have mental health care. You know, you, you make universal house, uh, housing, uh, you know, a real thing so people aren't sleeping out on, on the streets and getting stuck in these spirals in the first place. Like we could go on and on and on and actually describe what's at the root cause of this economic depravity in this country, you know, or when it's with Israel and Palestine or, or you know, whatever the issue may be. Be. We're having conversations about the historical context. We're having conversations about what's at the root cause of it. Everything it feels like in their commentary is just so, it's so surface level. So true. And, yeah. it, and it's just sort yeah. of, you're never going to be able to have, and honestly, it's not even just that you're never going to be able to have, you know, any real solutions put on the table, but the things that they propose and the way they, uh, you know, do this analysis in their minds is going to actively make these situations worse. It's going to make it worse in the long run. Yeah. And, I, and Shapiro, I watched him uh, talk to Piers Morgan. And I mean, I could not disagree with his view any more than I do on Israel and Palestine because he made the argument. And this actually was a direct quote from uh, Joe Scarborough from like a decade ago in a different context. But he said, they hate us because they hate us, you know, and Shapiro was like, yeah, they're just evil. They're not like you and me. They're different people. They're just anti-Semites. It's like in the core of who they are. It is just sheer Jew hatred. Now, look, when you talk about the most extreme fringes of Hamas, there's an argument that some people are just flat out bigots and xenophobes. There's going to be some percentage that exists in any population you talk about at all. But at the same time, the idea that like all Palestinians fall into this category and they're just not like us and they just like support terror full stop. It's like you actively don't want to look under the hood to see yeah. what led us to this point and what can be done to prevent this from happening in the future. Again, nobody begrudges if Israel said, hey, we're going to use special ops and we're going to go after the specific Hamas terrorists who did the stack. Literally nobody in the, on the planet who's reasonable would begrudge them doing that. But they're not doing that. They're doing a total medieval style siege. They're cutting off all their food, all their electricity, all their water. 2.3 million people uh, either bombing schools, bombing UN shelters, bombing hospitals. It's just absolutely Absolutely disgusting and depraved and god forbid you're a nuanced thoughtful person and you say hey you know what the core of this yeah it's got a lot to do with the illegal occupation it's got a lot to do with the apartheid system it's got a lot to do well, with the permanent police state if you say that it's oh my god you support Hamas. well it's yeah. like no you're just not thinking and you're not you don't want to engage honestly and he didn't, wouldn't want to engage honestly with us and to go even one layer deeper it's about trying to enforce an ethno state I mean, right. that's yeah. where that's really the the core of the problem here is that, you know, the world after the, the Holocaust, the atrocities of World War Two, there was, you know, under like incredibly justifiable sentiment of like, OK, we need our own state. We got to do something yeah. for these people. They want their own state. We're going to give them their own state. 
But one layer under that also was like, man, we don't really want to deal with the Jewish refugees. Absolutely. And like, let's just, That's a great this point. isn't yeah. really our land to give, but we're just going to do it anyway. And okay, guys, good luck. You got your thing. Go do your thing. And so now in this twisted historical parallel, you know, you now have, you know, Hitler was trying to create his own ethno state. Now you have this ethno state and it has led to all kinds of horrific, illegal atrocities against this one ethnic group of people. And it's, you know, as understandable as like the desire to have a Jewish state was the, the core rot of this idea that we're going to enforce a state based along ethnic lines. That's how you that's how you end up with people who are good people just like you and I living in Israel, coming to terms with this barbarism that's occurring in Gaza and in West Bank, you know, that they're, you know, by, done by their government where they're just looking the other way. And, you know, we, something I keep coming back to is um, the music festival that turned into just, you know, Hamas just massacred innocent people by the hundreds, absolute utter horror you know you see these videos of there they are just like carefree dancing having a good time and you see the paragliders coming in in the background you know what's about to unfold and i think on some level it's so emblematic of the state that israelis were living in because you know they were three miles from the border of gaza where you have two million people living in a cage effectively enforced by their own government in this festival again three miles away was supposed to be a celebration of infinite freedom. And just imagine having, like, that's how much the Palestine quote-unquote issue had been pushed to the sidelines, that you could have genuine, like, good, probably progressive, liberal people thinking nothing of going to a festival in celebration of infinite freedom three miles from a, a open-air prison filled with 2.2 million people, a majority of whom are children. So... Um, let's end on this because this is the most important part. I would say it's solutions. I, I'm going to assume we all agree we've never been further from a solution literally ever in the history of this conflict because now passions are up on both sides. People are only going to um, be even more hardline in their stance. But when it comes to solutions, uh, my pen opinion is there's only two potential solutions. One of them is the classic one, which was talked about for a very long time until recently, when now it's viewed as sort of impossible. But there was a time when the answer was uh, two-state solution, 1967 borders. And then I also like what uh, what Jank from the Young Turks added, because he's using the, the Cyprus example, where the Turks took over Cyprus and um, were occupying it, and the the Greeks were there, and then basically there were attacks, and they decided, all right, you guys go over there, we go over here, we'll build a big wall, and you guys get half the island, we get half the island. And that it's been relatively successful compared to what it could have been, right? And so the, the two possible solutions are 1967 borders, um, really high walls, UN peacekeepers, international community involved, and it's just like, Nobody fuck with anybody else. You guys have, both of you have your state, both of you have uh, recognition, and we move forward from here. That's uh, one potential solution. The other one, of course, is the one state democratic solution. Everybody yeah. gets equal rights. Just, you know, end apartheid and let, let's have a, a country called Israel-Palestine. And, you know, you guys got to figure it all out that way. So there's upsides and downsides to both of those uh, ideas. But like I said, I, I agree. We've, we've never been further from any solution ever, but I'm just curious uh, which you guys think is the best way to go. I'm actually not sure that we've never been further from any solution because 
the world was just pretending like this didn't exist for the past number of years. And there was a consensus within Israeli society that like, okay, we can go in the Netanyahu government direction, not just on the right in Israel, like on the liberal left as well. Like, we're just going to pretend this doesn't exist. And, you know, that's part of the, the backdrop here is Palestinians Many of them felt like we we were negotiating and we've never now been further away from any type of solution. We're just invisible now. It's like we just don't even exist. So I'm not but sure. But now they're facing a genocide. <laughs> so I think you're definitionally further away. They, how could you be further away from like impossible? Like it was impossible well, before. It was impossible. It's probably impossible now It was now impossible. Too. Now it's impossible. Plus you're going to die. Yeah. I mean, I think it's. But, yeah, but, to, I, but what I wanted to say is. I think that I understand that there's a desire to try to be like pragmatic in terms of proposing some sort of a two state solution. Not that anything seems workable now, but that seems with all of the like clear hatred and vitriol and dehumanization and crimes and war crimes and atrocities that have been committed on both sides. It's hard to imagine how you stitch together a single state out of these people. However, I mean, I, I think the only real solution is the one democratic state solution, because let's fast. Let's say we get the the two state solution that you were proposing. And let's say we get, you know, 50 years down the road. Part of why there's been this apartheid crackdown within Israel is because the um, Muslim Arabs who live in Israel um, you know, their population is large and growing. So they constantly feel the sense of like existential threat to the Jewish character of their state. And so if you have a two state solution, like that sense of existential dread over the Jewish character of the state doesn't go away. The only way you deal with that is not by like, OK, now we're going to have two separate ethno states, but we're going to have one state. It's going to be democratic. You're going to have equal rights for everyone. I'm, to me, that's the only real long-term sustainable solution, but as much as it seems like an impossibility. You acknowledge the downsides of that, though, too, right? That you have this tremendous hatred that's built up over generations and generations did. and generations. Yeah, I just Yeah, did. and like they would say, well, you're you're taking away our Jewish Jewish state status when we've already had it for X number of years. So it's gone like that if you do a one-state solution. I think there would be a tremendous resistance to that, maybe even more absolutely. so than a two-state solution. Oh, there I, absolutely would be. Yeah. Yeah. Go I ahead, think that, Matt, um, you, think? you know, I'm definitely in the camp of, of a one-state solution with democratic rights and, and full civil rights for everybody. I think that, you know, like you said, I mean, at, at this point, especially given the recent attack, given Israel's response, it seems like that's like, oh, that's utopian thinking that could absolutely never happen. But Every, both of them are utopian thinking. But, well, yeah, yeah point, absolutely. Yeah. But like, yeah, right. you know, the main reasons, I mean, at the core of it, I think I'm, I'm like principally opposed to ethno states, just Agreed. like at a fundamental level. So I don't think there's really much justification for trying to enforce that. And also, First of all, I just want to say that is like the least controversial take ever. And right. I totally agree with that. But, but at the same time, it's somehow the most yeah. controversial yeah. statement right. to be like, you know, Israel's an ethno state and they're also a theocracy. Right. And I'm against that. And well, it's like, oh, yeah. yeah, mm. right. They'll say that you want Israel to not exist. Yeah. It's like, no, I want Israel to exist, but I want everybody to have rights. Well, yeah. And it's, it's like people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people just sort of How dare you. act as if like, okay, we're just going to establish, you know, a, a Jewish state and that just magically happens. And as if like you just kind of went into empty land and nobody else lives there and there's never been any of this history that we've seen unfold. I mean, I think that like, uh, you know, especially given the history of Israel, something that is inherent to establishing an ethno state is something like apartheid is an ethnic cleansing yeah. so that that adds on top of it. One other thing I'll say just about the two state solution is I, I think it's just fundamentally 
impossible at this point. You know, I mean, if you look at not only, you know, number one, the complete uninterest from especially the, the government under Benjamin Netanyahu to to try to move towards a two state solution. He doesn't want that. That was part of the justification for him, you know, trying to bolster Hamas in the first place. So so on that front, it's not really possible. But number two, it's also not possible because, you know, especially under his government, but but even going beyond that, they've fragmented the Palestinian people into a million different enclaves, right? right. They've, they've had continued expansions of the illegal under international law settlements in the West Bank. And so at that point, it's like, how do you even logistically establish, you know, two states that are completely fragmented and you have the Gaza Strip and you have the West Bank and and you have, you know, all of this, this different, you know, institutional structure that's been put in place. So I think it may seem utopian, but at the end of the day, the only real solution is to have, you know, a, a secular government that does guarantee, you know, fundamental civil civil rights and democratic rights for everybody living in the area. And that's I mean, that's kind of the only way I see it in the, in the long run, at least. I think the really sad thing is that when we have this conversation, I think every single kind of solution sounds utopian. And yeah. I think we're so far away from any semblance of any solution. Yeah. You know what I mean? It so feels it, like we're, we're closer to, you know, a, a genocide, genocide competition. Than, right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And in that competition, that by the way, we know who would win that then. competition, yeah. win the genocide competition. I you mean, that's, that has been the Israeli government policy. I mean, certain members of his of Netanyahu's cabinet will out and out call for like, hey, like Ben Gavir, hey, let's wipe this Palestinian village off the map. Um, and so they've had this sort of slow move, moving ethnic cleansing has effectively been the policy of Netanyahu. Um now, you know, moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see whether he's able to maintain power. And the most likely reaction that you get from the Israeli population, and you're seeing this with the, you know, the um, siege of Gaza and attacks in Gaza and strikes in Gaza and prob probably a ground invasion in Gaza, the biggest re reaction to the population is like, let's go even harder. Let's police state even harder. <laughs> let's massacre even more. Let's build up the IDF even more. Let's have even more surveillance. Let's have even more intelligence apparatus. So, I mean, it seems very likely that that's the direction they go in versus saying, you know what, until we have some sort of real peace here, none of us is ever going to be truly secure. Yeah. All right. So, uh, that'll do it y'all. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you, Mac. Yeah, it's just good politic guy. No S on that. Just a singular good politic guy on uh, Twitter, YouTube, all that good stuff on every social media platform. So, yeah. And Mac also is our extraordinary senior producer over on Breaking Points and has been doing a lot of incredible week work this week. Highly recommend. us too in terms of our coverage. Highly recommend checking him out. I can tell you for sure he's one of very few voices in the online media landscape that has not lost his goddamn mind within the <laughs> past three, four years. You never know. No, <laughs> he's, he's only gotten smarter. He's only gotten better. So everybody definitely check out Mac. And uh, everybody who's listening to this, please consider supporting Crystal Kyle and friends. We truly appreciate it. Remember, we never had a conversation with any advertiser ever. We're very proud of that fact. We build this show completely from the ground up. So the way it works is if you pay five bucks a month, you get the video of every interview slash debate slash anything we do, and you get it a day early. Uh, and everybody else, uh, you can sign up for free on Substack, and you can get it uh, a day later, the, the audio podcast version of it. So, yeah, that's all we got for you guys. Obviously, we'll keep our eye on uh, what's happening with this war and give you as many updates as possible. And that's that. Love you all. We'll talk to you soon.